This week on The Sport Blokes. On this week's show, the NBA is finally back. MV TJ Warren? Will England give Bear Stowe a fair go? Bucks has been a bad, bad boy. And more on round nine in the Quarantine Football League. Let's go. Alright Stewie, as we do every week, what caught your eye and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my eye this week is something absolutely ridiculous out of America. Have you seen this viral image of the tomato that looks like Larry Bird? (laughs) I sure have. I honestly feel like the more I look at it, the funnier it becomes. So people that haven't seen it, somebody's picked a tomato that looks like it has the facial features of Larry Bird. So if you haven't seen it, you have to look it up. It's brilliant. It's got a great jump shot too, actually. It does. It has a very good jump shot. There have been some sensational tweets coming out of it. Someone actually said, Larry Bird enters the Indiana State Fair largest tomato contest which of you motherfuckers is coming in second? <laughs> which is obviously in reference to his famous line in the locker room before the 1986 three-point shootout, which he Did easily win. won. Yep. Easily won. Uh, so yeah, that definitely caught my eye. What about yourself? Well, this one's it's a bit funny, really. I was driving, and you have to forgive me for being maybe a little bit too personal. Try not to be too narcissistic here, but I think people can relate on some level. I was driving down Junlup Drive and, and saw the empty patch that used to be the Wanneroo Basketball Stadium. Oh, that stadium that we spent many, many hours of our lives. As you mentioned, I hit my first game winner there. You probably hit your first game winner there. I know yep. you sealed a game with free throws there. Yep. Uh, first time I touched a ring. First time I hit a three in a game. A lot of firsts on a basketball court were in that stadium. And yeah, look, a lot of people wouldn't really care. But I think people can relate, at least if you, I don't know, drive past your old house or something I, and I see that it's yeah. been bashed down. It kind of, it does tug it's, at your heartstrings for a it's second. It's easy to get nostalgic when you, you see something that, was such a huge part of your childhood, definitely. So Yeah, so that's that what caught my eye. What'd you miss? Well, look, as an OKC fan, I was gutted that their first game in the bubble was telecast at 3.30 in the morning. So unfortunately, I missed that, but we got the result we were after beating the Utah Jazz, who we were actually meant to be playing on the 11th of March when the league was shut down. So uh, good result. It was about, what, nearly five months late, but we got there. <laughs> How about yourself? Well, I missed the restart games, unfortunately. So you, the Utah Pelicans game and the LA Derby. Oh, look. I'll blame the fetch box. It was probably my error. I probably made a mistake, but I'll blame my fetch box. So they didn't tape, so I didn't oh, see them. Oh, done, you fetch. I know. I'm shaking my fist at the microphone. Well, they, they were good games too. They were. So, But we'll get to them later. We will. Quick news roundup to start the show as we always do, Shui. Yeah, so Arsenal have won their record 14th FA Cup final, defeating Chelsea 2-1 in front of a record low crowd of zero, (laughs) uh, breaking the previous record of 1,500 from the replay of the 1875-76 Cup between the Wanderers and Old Etonians. Two goals from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang proved to be the difference, and the scenes outside the Emirates Stadium were somewhat understandably non-distanced. Uh, Arsenal now turn their attention to the FA Community Shield final against Liverpool, which is currently scheduled for the 29th of August. We will see. Can you imagine soccer hooligans distancing their celebrations? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, the MLB, the Major League Baseball season, in serious doubt after the coronavirus has wreaked havoc on the Florida Marlins. Who? Oh, sorry, I believe they're the Miami Marlins now. They are now the Miami Marlins. Uh, I, I think 18 players was the last count. Apparently, the St. Louis Cardinals are also ravaged by coronavirus as well. They seem to be in real denial. The MLB commissioner, Rob Manfred, says, we are playing, but players need to be better. They've already cancelled games. They've already postponed games. They haven't set their playoff schedule. It's all a bloody mess. Uh, I think it's incorrectly pronounced St. Louis Cardinals. Ah, yes. Okay. (laughs) How dare we assume that they would get French right? (laughs) Anyway, moving on to tennis. Ash Barty and Nick Kyrgios are set to miss the US Open due to their concerns over their health. So we need to think of a new present for Nick Kyrgios. Oh, we do. For people who listened last week, we did our Christmas in July. Oh, what are we going to give him, Shui? We'll have to have a think about this. I mean, perhaps a steady girlfriend might be the... <laughs> Does he want that? Well, probably not, actually. <laughs> His talk of a girl each week. <laughs> this is true. Look, interestingly, though, Ash has been absolutely copping it on social media from the American public, including comments like, who is going to miss her and never heard of her anyway? The sort of comments a 12-year-old makes when the girl they think they love breaks up with them because they're riddled with a deadly disease. So, uh, These people are obviously just trolls and not real fans. But how could you not know the world number one or think that the tournament wouldn't be better with her in the field? It's, it's a joke. I can't blame her for not going, though. No, absolutely not. I think it's the right decision. She probably struggled to be let back into the country afterwards, anyway. <laughs> True. 
Lewis Hamilton won the British Grand Prix on, from what I'm hearing, very bald tyres, but he just got through in the end. Daniel Ricciardo finished fourth, but it wasn't without a bit of controversy. Yeah, well, he, he limped home about six seconds ahead of Max Verstappen, and there's been a lot of talk about why Verstappen actually pitted with about two laps to go. It's a move that probably cost him the race, realistically, because he was making up ground very, very quickly. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of talk about that, but Verstappen is apparently over the moon with coming second. I, I'm not sure why, but... And then moving on to golf, the Australian Open won't be played this year. It's the first time since World War II that the event hasn't appeared in any calendar year. Wow. Yeah, the organisers, they're still hopeful that it'll take place in Kingston Heath sometime early next year, but again, we will see. It depends on, on how things go in Victoria moving forward. Yes, indeed. And finally, Big Willie Willie Mason, 2004 Grand Final winner and Clive Churchill medalist, is in the courts seeking nearly a million dollars accusing a investment company of ripping him off. They, in turn, say that he was aiding and abetting by partying hard with the boss of the company. Oh, dear. It kind of brings the mind to uh, other athletes that have blown their money after their career, like the old uh, 30 for 30 broke comes to mind. Yeah, well, I mean, Antoine Walker from, well, the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat and the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Atlanta Hawks and many other teams. He comes to mind immediately, I think, I can't even remember what the figure was, about $180 million or something ridiculous. Oh, he had big career earnings. managed to blow through that, and he's now an ambassador for these guys and making sure that they actually hold on to their money and invest it properly. So It's a good 30 for 30. I mean, they all are. It's definitely worth watching. But some of the stats from that, 60% of former NBA players are broke within five years of retirement. By the time they've been retired for two years, nearly 80% of former NFL players are bankrupt or under serious financial stress. It seems to be a common theme. Yep. I guess it's just down to having that lifestyle and not being able to let it go. A lot of these guys are retiring in their early to mid-30s and, and they still feel like they're young at heart, feel like they can still go as hard as they did when they were 22, 23. And unfortunately, they got that money coming in. So, Or in Sean Kemp's case, it's uh, having too many kids yeah, with too al- many different alimony. Yeah. <laughs> alimony and cocaine. <laughs> support. And cocaine, unfortunately. So, oh, poor Sean Kemp. Free agency update in the NBL. Shuey, not as many signings this week, but a few. Yeah, so not much this week, as you said, but we did see South East Melbourne Phoenix shore up their front line, signing 6'10 Kiwi Yanni Wetzel. He played at San Diego State this year, super athletic. He's got range out to the three-point line, so he's a good pickup for them. The Hawks actually added Tyler Harvey as their first import. He's a big-time scorer. He once dropped 58 for the Memphis Hustle in a G League game, 18 of 23 from the field, 12 of 16 from deep. Wow. So he's... he's they both sound like good signings. Big-time scorer, yeah. And the, the other cool thing about Harvey is he's a lefty, so he's not an easy cover. Um, and just today, Nate Jarwai re-signed with Cairns, so finally a bit of good news for our friends up in far north Queensland. Yes, indeed. That's good for the league and good for Cairns. Mm. NBL COVID news. Not all good news in the NBL sphere. Melbourne United have 12 players that have tested positive, so they've probably been spending a little bit too much time with their crosstown rival Mitch Creek, I reckon. Um, I can see them all in little tin hats. But uh, after... Or alfoil hats. <laughs> perhaps something. they should play. Well, at least they're united in the... So we shouldn't make, we shouldn't make <laughs> yeah, such we light. Should, we shouldn't but um, it's the first time that the NBL season's actually been in a little bit of doubt, I guess. Yeah, a well, bit of worry. Well, we're talking, what, four months out today, 3rd of December. So yeah, that's yeah, we're right. Yeah, so exactly they announced that months. recently too. So yeah, you're right. We do have the first proper bit of uncertainty. Uh, look, four months is still a long time, but it's it's scary. It's scary. Well, the NBL is one of the first leagues to play without fans at stadiums, so who knows? I mean, they don't have the financial clout to do a hub model, though, I don't think, like the AFL does. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, so so we'll keep our fingers crossed on that one. Oh, by the way, you know how we spoke about Remus Curtinitis the other week? Ah, that curious case of Remus Curtinitis. (laughs) That curious case. Did you know he actually competed in the three-point shootout at the NBA All-Star Weekend in 89? What? Yeah. He, uh, so he won some sort of shootout over in Europe and they, they invited him to come across. It was some sort of diplomatic mission to come across and promote more of these foreign players. And uh, Yeah, he, he came in. Unfortunately, he shot the ball terribly. Yeah, of course. He ended up with a nine in the first round. And that was oh. back when they used to do one player at either side of the court as well. So he was he had Derek Harper at the other end oh, back when okay. Harper was with the Mavericks. And uh, I think Harper early beat, in his career or yeah, earlier in his earlier, earlier-ish. Yeah. Early-ish. yeah. So unfortunately, he got knocked out in the first round, which is a, a shame because, as we know, he's a fantastic shooter of the ball. So uh, that would have been around the time when the you know the Drazen Petrovic and the uh, Sarunas Marshalonises and you know there was probably a bit of European fascination at that point, which is probably. 
probably why they brought that in. Well, yeah, that was just before Drazen Petrovic left Portland to go to the, the Nets, Nets right. when, he, when he really took off. So, yeah, definitely quite a few of them. And Marshall Onis, yeah, he was a, a sensational lefty, speaking of lefties before, mm. but he was a very tough cover as well. So, yeah, and then a year later, funnily enough, speaking of three-point shootouts, a bit of a random stat, Michael Jordan actually had the worst score in the history of the competition with just five. I'm, a, I'm amazed that they didn't cover that in The Last Dance. Well, I'm sure that Jordan didn't allow that. Well, maybe, yeah. He did have creative control, <laughs> he, I think, quite tight. Have, yeah. yeah, because as someone who's notoriously competitive, that is not a stat he would like to have. No. Crazy. Yeah. Fancy that, hey? Who would have guessed? That's well, a great trivia. Yeah, well, I mean, I think he was probably looking at it saying, well, maybe I want to be the first guy to win the dunk comp and the three-point shootout. And it didn't go so well. Brent Barry? Uh, Brent, I don't think he actually won. Did he win the three-point shootout? I don't think he ever did. Oh, uh, maybe not. I'm not sure anyone's ever actually won both, to be mm. honest. No, you're probably right. All right, we'll have to look at that for we'll, next we'll, time. We'll look at. So I suppose that's probably a perfect segue onto America. Um, we'll maybe start off with the WNBA. So, sure. So I wanted to start the WNBA chat by asking if you'd heard that the WNBA is calling their bubble a wobble. <laughs> I did hear that. I like it. So a wobble, traditionally, if people haven't heard of them, it's a, a really hardened inflatable ball that is apparently indestructible. Oh. I watched some videos of people just throwing them around and they are just so hardy. So I just thought it was a bit of a random thing. It also sounds to me like something you'd expect a doctor on Grey's Anatomy to, to order, basically. You know, get me a wobble and free <laughs> scrub in. Or you a know. Teletubby character. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Tipsy, ripsy, la la, and, and wobble. wobble. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. And another thing I actually saw it happened in April, but I only just saw it as part of a WNBA telecast. The league actually drafted Alyssa Altobelli, uh, Gianna Bryant, and Peyton Chester in their annual draft. So anyone who doesn't recognise those names would have presumably heard about the helicopter crash on the 26th of January that took Kobe Bryant's life. The three girls were big-time high school basketball players and were unfortunately also taken in the crash. So real classy move by the WNBA. Mm, that's a nice touch. Ha- yeah, having in them as honorary. Sad circumstances. Yeah, as honorary sort of draftees. Really, really um, nice touch. Some other news in the WNBA. Sylvia Foles of the Minnesota Lynx also became the all-time leader in rebounding history this week in a loss to the Seattle Storm. So she leads now with 3,361, I think it is, which considering they only play 34 games a season, is a pretty solid average, just under 10 a game. So yeah, yeah. She's done very, very well there. She's been around a long time. She has, definitely. But probably the big story to come out of the WNBA oh, this week... Yes. Unfortunately, involves a very careless tweet from Miami Heat forward Andre Iguodala. So he was watching the Washington Mystics versus Connecticut Sun game in the bubble, as you do, a game in which the Mystics forward Ariel Powers dropped 27 and Iggy decided to tweet, number 23 from the Mystics is nice. Mm. So Powers, not surprisingly, took exception to this, replying, put some respect on my name or keep this tweet to yourself. And then we deal with disrespect on the daily. So for someone like you, Andre, to tweet that off the same device you could have looked me up on is unacceptable. Absolutely. Great point. Yep, absolutely. I've got so much to say about this, Chewy. Go for Uh, it. Ariel Powers, like best basketball name ever. Yeah, it's an amazing name. Like that is such a good name. Like she must have been preordained to play basketball with a name like that. Definitely. Uh, Andre Iguodala, I used to be a massive fan of his. Like... Way back in, like I think it was NBA 2K7 or something, I created a team called the Andre Iguodalas. I remember that actually. Because he was just a great swingman who could play multiple positions. So it was literally the entire team was Andre Iguodalas and one Nenad Kristic. <laughs> of course. Oh no, it was Mike Illich. It was Mike Illich. <laughs> New Jersey Nets. Because I needed a big man. Random, I needed a Random cent- European I needed center, a center. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I used to be such a big fan of Iggy, but two strikes now, mate. Because one, not turning up to play for Memphis was a dog act, in my opinion. Yep. Like, forcing that trade. Dude, just play some games. Like, he was cashing checks. Mm. He could have played some games. And now this. It's I'm actually, actually three strikes. Oh? Yeah, so there during the same sort of tweeting session, there was a, a picture that Powers actually put up that says... I don't want my daughter playing basketball and becoming a lesbian. Oh, yes, I did hear about that. So... Three strikes, Iggy. Three strikes. Three strikes. Luckily, it's a four-strike game of baseball, but still not cool. So, mm. yeah, really, really bad look for Iguodala. And I, I can't get past what she said about him being able to look her up on the device. That's just It's so it's Absolutely. so simple. Perfect, yeah. yeah. In this day Absolutely. and age, there's just, yeah, there's just no place for this. And yep. Disrespecting what is 
such a legitimate league. These these girls are putting on a really, really impressive show. I've been fortunate enough to see some of the games in the last week and they're doing such an amazing job. And obviously I talked about Deladon's free throw stats, you know. But but the other thing is they're playing for significantly less money. Oh yeah. And so the risk that sports players are bearing at the moment, particularly in the US, and okay, yes, they're in a wobble. But, Sorry. you know, they, they are bearing the brunt of the risk. And so they're probably not earning much at all. So well, it's even it, more impressive in many ways. To put it into perspective, Sylvia Foles, who we just spoke about, her current salary is 210000 US, which yeah. is considerably less than yeah. the minimum that the, the blokes are making. Oh, so. and Iggy probably made that in a month for not playing for Memphis. Yeah. yeah. No, we're off you, Iggy. That. We're yeah. off you. Disappointing. But we'll use that segue into the NBA. So obviously, sure, we've had nearly 20 games now, 19 by my count, in the first few days back. What are your thoughts? What do we like? What do we dislike? What are our initial feelings about the restart? The scoring's been a lot better than the AFL, that's for damn sure. Yeah, well, funnily enough, that was my my very first note, saying that the restart's off to a, a really great start in general. We've had high scoring, we've had upsets overtime games and I had written touch with no injuries but of course as soon as I write that Jonathan Isaac, Isaac tore yeah. his ACL and his left knee today so yep. which was a really horrible one as well a non-contact one so they they don't look great but mm. look there's there's a couple of things that we don't particularly care for we've had this conversation um, we let, have so we I'll we, let you start with the first I know this is your big frustration of this so far so so yeah, so we got together with a mate and we watched one full game and a couple of other bits and pieces of other games and it was really great to have the basketball back. A couple of things, I guess the thing that came to my mind immediately is that horrible courtside camera angle. Yeah. I don't know why they need to have that one. I don't like that one at all. It's, yeah, it's hideous. Um, but it felt like NBA 2K, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And that, like, a lot of people have made that comment. The, the, it's actually, it felt like NBA 2K in an ice hockey rink. Oh, yeah, of course. Cause so of the, the commentators first, yeah. and the replay people were behind the big glass there and the crowd noise. It was almost like playing NBA 2K with the commentary turned up to full and the crowd turned down a little bit. Yes. And God, some of the scores were NBA 2K-like. Well, funnily enough, that game that we talked about, yeah, yeah. Over, over 300. We will probably talk about that game a little bit more in a second. I did want to just quickly say I love the idea of the fans on the computer screens. I'm just... I'm not a huge fan of the fact that some of them are lagging. There's a mix of people who are doing nothing or they're sitting on their phones. It's, it's just, it's obviously a lot more noticeable because they're a lot bigger on mm. the screen than they are in and a, a, a normal game and they're a lot higher up. And, yeah. and it's funny that you say that it looks like a video game and it does have that NBA 2K sort of feel to it because we're so used to seeing the crowds on those things kind of oscillating and moving around in really weird patterns and it's kind of the same on those as well. So that's one thing I'm not a huge fan of. And I'm not a huge fan of this hostile act review that keeps going on. There's been, every game I've watched so far, there's been one where somebody's made a move into the lane and accidentally caught someone with an elbow. And they're stopping. So is this vernacular they've used all season? Because I don't remember hearing no, it. No, it, it seems new? like it's bubble. It, bubble it's just, talk. Yeah, bubble talk. Bubble rap. So, so <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. But yeah, one of the games I watched just today, guy makes a move into the, into the middle, goes up for a hook shot, and a fairly normal move, basically, that everyone would make. The elbow goes up a little bit to kind of protect the ball and it and it clips one of the guys under the chin. And straight away they're looking for this hostile act. Mm. And it's just it's a horrible phrase. Mm. It just doesn't sit well with me. So mm. I guess those are the things I'm not a huge fan of, but the rest of it's been great. I did get to see my beloved Spurs, and now I have perhaps fool's gold optimism. You do. <laughs> um they look, they've been good. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the rumours of San Antonio and Phoenix's demise are a bit off because both are 2-0 in the bubble. Mm. Uh, Memphis are 0-2, if I'm not mistaken, the they team are, we're chasing. So and by so the way, we'd play three less games than them. So are the Pelicans. Yeah, Pelicans as well. Yeah, so... But no, I, I, I mean, all you ask as a fan is that your team gives 100% heart and plays hard. And that's what they did. They've done that. And although LaMarcus Aldridge is missing and Trey Lyles is missing... Most of the team are actually playing for a contract. Mm. So it's actually a good time. Like it's The playoff streak may continue. I don't think it will, but it may. Um, but Keldon Johnson looked excellent. He um, look as really a, good. You know, Lonnie Walker is finally getting some minutes. Pops actually, this seems like the first time in a long time that Pops copped some criticism for his coaching. But he's gone a bit small ball and he's gone with the young fellas. So he seems to have adjusted well and it's paid dividends already. DeJounte Murray, if it seems like he might be developing a consistent three. 
that's amazing if he's got a consistent three-point shot. So yeah, as I say, it's probably fool's gold, but I felt really good. Luckily, the game was on Viceland. So we actually watched the first half. The three of us watched the first half, but then I noticed it was on Viceland, so I watched the whole thing again. Really, but yeah. yeah, really enjoyed it. I will say, that Pop actually looks engaged properly for the first time in a while, from what I've seen. So he has a mask uh, on the sideline, but it always comes off to abuse refs. Yes. <laughs> So, <laughs> I mean, not that the refs are having any problems hearing anyone abusing them at the no, moment. So no. I think we'll probably see quite a few tech fouls coming through. And, and, and just one one last thought on that one. Speaking of the 2K kind of feel to it, Sean Elliott made a calling commentary. And I can't remember what it was exactly because I watched it really late at night and I didn't take note. But I remember thinking immediately when I heard it, even that was 2K-ish. Like it sounded like one of those generic like, commentator calls. The, that Spurs, kind of, the Spurs are shooting... 43%. Well, no, no. It was, it was kind of like a generic, like, I don't know. I can't remember what the context was. But um, yeah, even some of the com- commentary, like the whole thing felt like 2K. Yeah. But we watched all of the Rockets and Mavs Stewie together. So we thought we'd maybe put a spotlight game on that one because it was very high scoring. It was very interesting. It was close. Went to OT. Shouldn't have. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely right. So uh, Houston ended up getting up 153 to... 149. 149 Huge. in OT. And as you say, they probably shouldn't have got there. Dallas probably should have won in regulation. They didn't even get a good shot off. But uh, yeah, it was a horrible fadeaway three from Doncic. Yeah, and it shouldn't have even been tied though. No, absolutely. I mean, the poor boxing out on Covington when he tips in the the game. Well, that's shot. that's a really good point. The they, qu- they did not control the defensive boards well at all in that final quarter. Mm. Dallas they gave away a few really key offensive boards to Houston, and Houston made the most of it. Mm. And PJ Tucker, you could very easily argue, got away with a foul holding Porzingis off the boards. Uh, on that I kind play. of felt like they were holding each other a little bit on that play, but yeah, it could I have think, gone either way. I think Tucker engaged first. But you can but, also you can yeah. also say that Harden probably should have gone to the line for three shots in regulation that he didn't. This get. is true. This so, is true. So they, there were a few of a few of those. But the thing that I kind of don't understand is when you have guys like Porzingis. So I called for it. You know, like oh, what are they going to do here uh, to try and force the win? And I said, give it to Porzingis on the elbow for a jump shot because he's not going to get blocked. But no, as you say, Luka Doncic threw up a crappy three. Or did they even get a shot up? Yeah, he threw a fatal crappy three. Crappy three, yeah. The um, and the rest is history. And I dare say, Stewie, Dallas have had a problem with closing games this season. And it may be the only thing that stands between your bold prediction coming right or not. Well, they play each other in a, a few days, actually. Ah, so. well, there you go. But uh, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And funnily enough, I watched the, the Rockets play against the Bucks today as well. Another game that they won that they shouldn't have won. Mm. Uh, huge comeback towards the end of the game. And yet again, you've got Giannis, you've got uh, Lopez that is absolutely towering over the top of these guys. And whilst they're putting up decent numbers, down the stretch, they couldn't get anything going. So it was very, very interesting to see the style of play that Houston play. I'm thinking, you know, it's not going to work in the long run. I, I don't mean, think it'll work in the playoffs. But it's, it's, it's hard, you know. Because but it depends how other coaches, you know. I think you've got to stick to your guns. You've got to play your bigs, and you've got to believe in them and rely on them. Okay, maybe you can't play Anthony Davis and Javale McGee together, for example, because McGee's not mobile enough. But some teams have two bigs that are quite mobile, and and I think teams should be doing that, particularly in the playoffs. It's one of those things, and it has been mentioned on a few podcasts, that if Houston is shooting the ball well, they're not going to be beaten. Because you've got Westbrook and you've got Harden who can get Westbrook, by, by the way, had his 36th consecutive 20-point game today. He's in career-best form, potentially. Funnily enough, he is. But yeah, they just all they have to do is get into that paint, and it's just make a decision. If the D collapses, you're kicking out to guys like Tucker, Daniel House, who's shooting the ball well, Ben McLemore... Jeff Green. They've got so many shooters out there, guys that can make Even with shots. Gordon missing, they've still got a lot of shooters. Exactly. Yep. So it's a really interesting style. And I actually really can't wait to get into the playoffs and see how this goes. But it's, yeah, it's going to well, be I fun. think there'll be a few interesting games prior to that. Speaking of interesting games, Boston Celtics had, a, had an interesting one with Milwaukee, who you mentioned earlier. Yeah, so... Some very interesting stuff coming out of this. So a few questionable calls, keeping Giannis in the game late. So there's two and a half minutes late. Giannis is on five fouls. He's fighting through a screen from Daniel Tice and appears to hit Tice in the groin. Does the old uh, Draymond Green. Well, he kind of did. He kind of did. So the refs go for the, let's go and have a look and see if there's a hostile act. So they do their review. Your favorite. Yeah. And not only do they not call it a hostile act, no call at all. So he stays in the game. A few plays later, it's 110 all. So we're talking 
a minute and a half left in the, the fourth quarter. Giannis drives down the lane, barrels into Marcus Smart. They call a charge. Budenholzer immediately challenges. They go into the review. It's really, really close. I would say that it was probably a block, but only just. And then Marcus Smart says after the game, the excuse was I was late on the charge. Quite frankly, I think we all know what that was about. Giannis would have had six fouls. Mm. And then Jalen Brown's Instagram story later has a photo of two guys holding hands with Giannis's face on one guy and Kenny Mauer's face on the other. Wow. What are your thoughts? Well, it reminds me of Tim Hardaway after a game against the New York Knicks calling Dick Bavetta Nick, Nick Bavetta. Bavetta yeah. Um, yeah, oh, look, there'll be fines abound there. They'll definitely be fined. There may, there may be even suspensions, I don't know. I'd say probably a $25,000 fine. Um, probably not. I mean, if they didn't suspend Rudy Gobert, they're not probably not going to suspend. And by the way, Rudy kicked off the whole restart with game-winning free throws, which is pretty crazy. This is true. Uh, And maybe he shouldn't have even been playing if there was a suspension. Mm. But anyway, that's the bad side. The good side is, wow, like ultra competitive already. You know, I was a bit worried those first couple of games might not be competitive. And as our mate said, it's probably because the league said, you guys better put on a good show for the restart. We don't care. You can rest your players after the first game. But we we want these first two games to be really good. And they put on quite a show. Thanks, Fetchbox. I'll still blame it, even though it was probably my fault. <laughs> but yeah, it's eating probably doesn't matter much. So they probably don't need to be too upset at one another, but they're great competitors and the juices are flowing and it's it's a really good sign mm. heading into the playoffs. Those East playoffs are going to be amazing, I think. Oh, they're going to be fantastic. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Orlando's come out playing half decent, but, but no, as you say, two great games on opening night, two missed game winners, unfortunately, but good games. The Houston-Dallas game we just spoke about was fantastic. Toronto beat the Lakers for the 11th straight time. That's that's a surprising stat, even though, okay, the Lakers had a few down years. LeBron's been there for a few of them. Well, the last four games he's yeah, played. Yeah, well, there you so go. There you go. There's, it's a big surprise, and they handled them quite comfortably. A lot of people are picking Toronto out of the East. I wouldn't be surprised. They're yeah. playing some great basketball. They've got a lot of these. It's almost like the grit and grind... Memphis ah, okay. It's kind yeah. of a little bit like that. And of yeah. course, they've got Marc Gasol there, so yeah. it kind of makes sense. They're a little bit more free-flowing, I guess, but they play some great basketball. You had Miami surprising Denver. Um, geez, how good was that bounce pass that Bowl Bowl threw? Did you it see was that? magnificent. It was Full magnificent. Full stride. I, a part of me wants to think that maybe he played guard before he had his growth spurt, but given done. his genetics, like he was probably tall out of the womb. Yeah, so maybe, well, maybe he didn't. But yeah, that was a great bounce pass. It was. Did Denver have the two best passing big men in the league? Quite possible. Yeah. Certainly, certainly from that limited sample size, they yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. So, and and then we've got to talk about TJ, TJ Warren, Stewie. We've got to talk about 53 points against the Philadelphia 76ers. First 20 of 50 in the bubble. His first 50 in the bubble. 20 of 29 from the field. 9 of 12 from the three-point line, which ties the team record. And let's remember, this is a team that's had Reggie Miller, Chris Mullen. They've had some shooters Paul, on that team. Paul George. Paul George. Uh, and also, if I'm not mistaken, only the third player to have a 50 with less than five free throws. It was 4 of 4 from the line. Ah, that I did not know. Yeah, so a tremendous performance. 53 points giving the Pacers a six-point win over the uh, 76ers there. Yeah, I mean, he's he's having a really quietly great year. And, and he's a guy that a lot of people forget about. You know, he averaged 18 points a game last year with Phoenix. He's at about 19 points a game now. Um, not surprisingly, that went up a little bit. Oh, uh, yes, it would have got a bit of a bump, yeah. So he's still a little bit of a random guy, though, to drop 50. And it, Shades of Tony Delk, Stewie. Well, it, funnily enough, you, you mentioned Tony Delk. It kind of made me think about some of the more random guys to drop 50 in recent years. I've got a list of the top 10. Oh, good. Which I thought you might be interested oh, in. Oh, yes, always. So we'll start off with Corey Brewer. 51 points versus Houston. So Brewer was averaging about 12.3 points a game that season. What made this interesting, though, he joined Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, and Rick Barry. It's a really good company. Oh, yes. As the only players to register at least 50 points and six steals in the same game. That's very impressive. Really cool stat. Part of those great Florida Gators teams, of course. Yes, he was. Also became just the sixth player in NBA history to score 50 or more without previously scoring 30. That's a great stat. Which is really, really cool. That's incredible. You've got Mo Williams. Now, Mo Williams was a really good scorer, but he scored 52 against Indiana while he was 32. So he was kind of past his prime a little bit, only averaging about 11 points a game that season. I just remember him going off, hitting these crazy fadeaways from 16 to 18 feet. So really cool performance. Fun to watch. Terrence Ross, 51 versus the Clippers. For uh, Toronto. For Toronto, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's a guy... 
Always been capable of going off. But this season, he was only averaging 7.4 points a game. This is the lowest of anyone to ever score 50 points in a game. So that was what I thought was really interesting about yeah, that Yeah, that's cra- crazy. Um, Andre Miller, 52 for, for Portland against Dallas. Wow, at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. He was 34 at the time. So, wow. I mean, he was averaging 14 that season, but you just don't expect a guy at 34 to drop that many Well, points. he was never known as a scorer either. He was a pure point guard. Yeah. That's probably his career high. Oh, well and truly. 52, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Oh, do you mean the 14 points a game? No, 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 the the 52. But, but, you know, you you would have thought he maybe would have had a 50 for Cleveland or, you know, but no. No, he was was a pass first guy for Cleveland. Wow. Tony Delk, you mentioned before, 53 versus Sacramento. For Boston. He'd actually just... No, he's actually with Phoenix. Oh, that's right. He had. He'd moved on. He'd actually just been traded to Phoenix from Sacramento and... The Suns go into into Arco Arena. Delk's averaging about eight points a game at the at that stage, and he dropped fifty three without a single three pointer. That's incredible. And he never scored more than twenty seven outside of that game. Mm. So very interesting. Mm. Um, Brandon Jennings, fifty five for Milwaukee against Golden State. Was that on Dubu? Uh, pretty, Wasn't it like it was one of his very first games? Pretty close. And it, it, not only that, but it broke rookie records. It broke Lou Alcindor record. Yeah, it did. Yeah, for, so, for the Bucks. So there's some a couple of really amazing things about this one. So firstly, Jennings missed his first three shots, and he was actually benched for the rest of the first quarter. So he actually scored 55 in the last three quarters. Wow, which is nuts. Um, and it was only his seventh game. So as you mentioned, it was very seventh. Real, okay, yeah, I remember real. that one quite well. Actually, everyone's like, "Wow, where did this guy come yeah. from?" He might have even been drafted out of high school, was he? Uh, he'd played over in, I think it was Italy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. And it was also his first matchup with Steph Curry, who only scored fourteen points in that game. Ah, yes. But Curry's now a two-time MVP. And Brandon champion. left the league way quicker than he should have. And Jennings left the league before he was thirty. Yeah. So yeah, yeah very interesting. Yeah. Now, Mad Max, Vernon Maxwell. I know one, uh, one of your favourite players. From when he played Vernon. for the Spurs, yeah. Yep. Well, no, when he played for Houston, Houston too. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. So he had 51 versus Cleveland. Now, he was obviously a guy, kind of a microwave guy. Oh, yeah, when he got very... hot, like Chuck Person, one of those sort of players, you yep. know, Vinnie Johnson, yeah. But he had 21 at three-quarter time. Wow. Dropped 30 in the fourth. Wow. Similar sort of vein as well, Karis Levert. For Brooklyn, 51 he points. He had a 50. Boston. Yeah, he had a 51 versus Boston. He got going late in the game. He had 37 points across the fourth quarter in overtime. Wow. So huge. That's a great list. It is. It keeps going, though. Oh. <laughs> There's a few more. Oh. Uh, Walt Wesley, someone you've probably never heard of. I'd never heard of him, I'll admit that. No, is that before our time? Or yeah, is it? in the 70s. Yeah, so right. 50 points versus the Cincinnati Royals when he was playing for Cleveland. So the whole 1971 season was a bit of an anomaly for Wesley. He averaged 17.7 points a game for the season and 24.1 from this game onwards. But in four of the next five seasons, he averaged four points a game or less. Wow. So really, really interesting. You've also got Willie Burton, 53 points versus Miami when he played for uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. He was a career 10 points a game sort of guy, but went 12 of 19 from the field. Uh, 5 of 8 from 3 and the 12 of 19 is is interesting because I'll talk about something a little bit later on oh. but he remi- remarkably went 24 of 28 from the free throw line which Jeez. for a guy who you know doesn't sort of score huge amounts is, is big uh, Tracy Murray 50 points versus the Golden State Warriors up to that point he was for averaging uh, Washington ah Washington so he was averaging 9.4 points a game for his career and dropped that 50 against the Warriors teammate Rod Strickland though in that game, had 21 points, 20 assists, and 12 rebounds. A really big triple-double. Honorary mention, Jamal Crawford. 51 points versus Dallas just last year for Phoenix. So he's always, again, been a sort of guy who can just get buckets at will, but he did this at 39 years of age. He also became the first player in NBA history with 50 points for four different teams. Can you name them? Obviously, you know one of them is, is Phoenix. Jamal Crawford. Yes. New York Knicks. Correct. Chicago Bulls. Correct. LA Clippers. No, that's one he, he didn't get. Um, oh, okay. Now it gets tricky. Who else did he play for? Golden State. There you go. Um, and there are actually four guys who have done it with three teams. Wilt Chamberlain, Bernard King, Moses Malone, and LeBron James. Nice. So very good company. Oh, and he did it in a year when he was only averaging 7.9. So that was the lowest he'd scored since his rookie season in like 1753 BC. Mm. So mm. now, It's about time he had another biblical reference. Yeah. Oh. You know, it's not nearly it's been enough. a few weeks. Not yeah. nearly enough. I did want to just quickly finish this off with James Harden. I know you're not a big fan of the guy. I'm not either if I'm <laughs> perfectly <laughs> No, honest. I'm not a big fan. I don't doubt his talent. 
Yes. He's supremely talented. It's funny, you mentioned the uh, MVP kind of treatment. There was another interesting one in that Dallas game yeah. where he was double teamed. Two blokes, there's a tiny gap between them and he literally just jumps and tries to squeeze through the hole and, oh, lo and behold, it's a blocking foul, apparently. Yeah. yeah. No, he does give me the shit. <laughs> but anyway, go on, go on. So a couple of really crazy stats. So, so he had 49 in that game. The first player since 1995 to score 49 or more on 20 or fewer field goal attempts. The other one from 1995 was Willie Burton. Ah, that game that I spoke there about. you go. Um, and this was also his 20th 40-point game of the season, the second time he's done that. The only other guys to have multiple seasons with 20 or more 40-point games, Wilt Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, and Elgin Baylor. Mm. So again, three very, very great players. Mm. Oh, and he's got 48 40-plus point games in the last two seasons, which is more than Giannis, LeBron, Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, Paul George, and Kevin Durant combined. Still probably won't win shit in the playoffs, though. Well, well no, probably not. Uh, long live the NBA, that's all I can say. Yeah, it's good to be back. And now, this week in sport history. So in this week in sports, the 29th of July 1991, Yankee Stadium fans throw various projectiles at Jose Canseco. Canseco, for most Australians, is best known for saving a lady's baby, cat, piano player, sofa, dining table, etc., etc., in the season three episode of The Simpsons, Homer at Bat. He was a real polarizing character, and at the time, I believe he was dating Madonna. And during that game, it actually looked like a woman had fallen from the stands, and when Conseco went to check on her, a blonde wig fell off, and it ended up being a blow-up doll. <laughs> they also threw cabbage at him. We could probably do a story on all the people Madonna's dated. There's also Dennis Rodman as well. Uh, also on the 29th of July, and I remember this one well, 1995, Monica Sellers beats Martina Navratilova in her return to tennis after being stabbed by a deranged fan at the 1993 Citizen Cup in Hamburg, Germany. The guy was a massive Steffi Graf fan and Sellers had just taken the number one ranking of her. After taking more than two years to get back to playing, Sellers never played in Germany again. Interestingly though, Graf still didn't win the Citizen Cup and was beaten by Spaniard Arantxa Sanchez Vicario in the final. On the 30th of July 1966, the FIFA World Cup final was held at Wembley Stadium in London. England won the match 4-2 after Jeff Hurst scored a hat-trick and England beat West Germany after extra time. Do you think after it finished 2-2 at the end of regular time, they should have gone to a countback on boundaries? <laughs> Sorry, England, but you'll never live that down. No, it's no underarm ball, but we've got to give you some stick. 31st of July, 2007, the Boston Celtics obtained former MVP and 10-time All-Star Kevin Garnett in a 7-for-1 deal with the Minnesota Timberwolves, the biggest player of which probably Al Jefferson. Uh, then the NBA's biggest ever trade for one player. The trade worked for the Celtics, who ended up winning the NBA championship in 2008 and then ended up trading Garnett and Paul Pierce to the Nets for some expiring contracts and first-round picks in 2014, 16, and 18, which netted them... Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Pretty decent return. Yeah. Well done, Mikhail Prokhorov there. Well, well done. done. Well well done, Danny Ainge. Is probably yeah. Well, what yeah, we should say. taking the piss out he, of the Russian he, owner of the Nets. but yeah, Ainge did amazingly there. So the 1st of August 1987, Mike Tyson outpoints Tony Tucker in 12 rounds in a heavyweight boxing unification matchup in Las Vegas. He became the first to own all three major belts, the WBA, WBC, and IBF belts at the same time. And then finally, 2nd of August, 1968, Ron Hansen of the Washington Senators and Tim Cullen of the Chicago White Sox became the first Major League Baseball players to be traded for each other twice in the same season. They had been traded in February in opposite directions. That is nuts. That is absolutely crazy. Huge week for this week in sports history. Oh. This week in sport history. So kicking off the football this week, Nathan, I believe you've got a Washington Redskins update. Yeah, an update of sorts. The uh, Washington Redskins, or the team formerly known as the Washington Redskins, it's hard to break out of the uh, old habits die hard, but they'll be known as the Washington football team this season, if this season goes ahead, the way things are going with baseball outside of a hub or a bubble, not looking so good. But let's assume it goes ahead. They'll be the Washington football team. Ah, the insert generic team name here. Now... On face value, it's, it is generic and terrible, but it's actually quite a pragmatic decision because it's only an interim name and it will give them some time to actually think about a good name. 
which has given us a bit of an opportunity to think of some pretty horrendous team names in the past, Chewy. Well, yeah, I mean, it was also, I guess, because the the new Seattle team in the National Hockey League will be known as the Seattle Kraken. Yes, that's which right. Which is a really yes. cool name. So yes, it yes. did get us thinking about some of the shockers. HP um, Lovecraft. Yeah, no, I don't mind Kraken. I've heard some it. people bag it, but no, it's you know, great. it's better than uh, you know yet another team being called the Wildcats. This is true. As much as we <laughs> love as we our love, Wildcats, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll rattle off a few of them from, from over the years. So, in the National Basketball League here in Australia, we've got the Hunter Pirates. We, yes. We've spoken about the we Hunter have. Gatherers as they should yeah, have been. Yeah, that's how they should have been, yeah. Uh, the City of Sydney Astronauts, because of Sydney's amazing space program. Yeah, don't know what was going on there. Uh, the Sydney Spirit. Yeah, the, the Sydney Spirit, this kicks off the era of the NBL not giving a shit about history. Because they could have gone with the Kings, and they didn't. And then the new Melbourne team decided to call themselves a soccer name, Melbourne United, killing the history of the Tigers, which still, it absolutely breaks my heart, considering Andrew Gaze and those amazing teams, well, Lindsay Gaze too, and all those great teams, Brad Keeley, Copeland, I could go on and on. Don't forget Warwick Giddy and Ray Gordon. Oh, well, of course, yeah, the old needler, Ray Gordon. Yep. And then, of course, you know, the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. And one of the favourite phrases to shout at a basketball game is, oh, it's like they're playing netball out there. Well, the Phoenix (laughs) used to be a netball team, so well done. It just reeks of the marketing department outthinking themselves, you know, like, oh, yeah, the Phoenix rising from the ashes. But it actually reminded me more of the B-Sharps on that episode of The Simpsons. Beatles reference, of course, you know, one of those names that's really funny and clever at first and gets less funny and clever every time you hear it. That's the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix to me. Mm. Yeah, so two really dud team names in the NBL in Melbourne. And we'll probably see the Hobart Defiance or some shit next season. (laughs) Oh, please, the Devils. Moving across to America, to the NBA, we have the Chicago Zephyrs. I don't actually mind that one. I mean, I guess the Windy City, there's a lot of of things going on in the sky, but it still sounds a bit silly. The Fort Wayne Zolna Pistons. Do tell. So before the Pistons were in Detroit, they started off in Fort Wayne and they had a couple of owners with the surname Zolna and they decided they wanted their name in the name of the team. Ah, so basically the Fort Wayne narcissists. Yes, exactly. Mm. Exactly Mm. right. Uh, Then we had the Pittsburgh Iron Men. Well, kind of follows the theme like the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, heavy industrial area. Meanwhile, I'm imagining them sitting there in speedos with their little <laughs> with, their, with their little paddle boards and stuff. Doing the swim leg, yeah. And Pittsburgh being so far from the ocean as well is uh, makes it sound a bit silly, but you're probably right there. Uh, yes. The Providence Steamrollers. I don't hate that one either, I've got to say. Nothing puts the fear of God in a team like a slow-moving steamroller just yeah, maybe smooshing I, down the asphalt. Yeah, okay, maybe I need to re- rethink that one. Uh, and the Tri-Cities Blackhawks. Oh, do tell. So this is a really interesting one. The Blackhawks were actually a team that, as it indicates, Tri-City, they were actually based across three different cities across two states. Yeah. So you had uh, Moline and Rock Island in Illinois and Davenport in Iowa. Eat your heart out, Aubrey Wodonga Bandits. <laughs> well, that's it. They need another another partner. Like the Aubrey Wodonga insert generic country town. Yeah, name. I don't think there's another state close enough. It's to, probably not, yeah. that's true. Major League Baseball, we had the Cleveland Spiders. Yeah, don't hate it. Don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> the Chicago Whales. Yeah, okay, yeah. It's a bit random. Yeah. The Brooklyn Tip Tops. High in mm, fiber. Yum. <laughs> the Newark Peppers. You can put them on the, the tip top, make a little sandwich. <laughs> the, uh, the St. Louis Brown Stockings. Yeah, that's not, weird. Not quite as catchy as, as Red the Red Sox. Yeah. But, uh, the Buffalo Bisons. Very yeah. Few, they're two different animals. And yeah, similar, but they're yeah, two different interesting, ones. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Worcester Worcesters. Should be the Worcester sauce. They, they should have been, exactly. Mm. They should have been. Uh, the Wilmington Quick Steps. Mm, what's that? A ballet team? Gotta, gotta love a yeah, fa- fancy dance move. Similar to the Charleston. One of those sorts of moves. They might as well call themselves the Jazz Hands. They should have. <laughs> the Utah Jazz Hands. The Wilmington Jazz Hands. Well, the Utah <laughs> Jazz Hands works. Uh, the Toledo Mormies. I don't even know what a Mormie is. Well, speaking of Utah, that's where my brain goes. <laughs> Mormons. The Mormons. Yeah. Um, the Cincinnati Kelly's Killers. Sweet Jesus. Cincinnati unresolved issues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I can just kind of see um, America's most wanted... Unsolved mysteries. We're looking for Kelly's killers. Check in Cincinnati. Uh, And then the Cleveland infants. What is going on there? Uh, Yeah, exactly. What is going on? Like that South Park uh, crack basketball association. (laughs) Why would you name your team the infants? Oh, God knows. That is bizarre. Uh, then in the NFL, we've got the Boston Yanks, a.k.a. the Boston Masturbatings. Well, 
<laughs> How do I follow that? <laughs> Nothing like. But like, what when like the Red Sox and Yankees in the baseball have this like really massive rivalry? Why then in, would you have the Boston? Yeah, that's very bizarre. Who knows? Then we have the Dainty Dayton Triangles. Ah, yes, soon to be playing Ding. the Quick Steps. Ding. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, and then just one from the NHL as well. The Hartford Whalers. Watch out, Chicago Whalers. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We're coming for you. Indeed. Oh, dear. AFL news, Chewy? Yeah, a lot of COVID breaches to yes. start things off yes. with. So we've had five sides from Victoria all being hit with breach fines. Started off with Richmond with Trent Cotchin's wife, Brooke, going out to a day spa. So this one's really interesting. Um, Mitch Cleary was hired by the AFL as an AFL writer. And they decided that they weren't going to name names. But Mitch on Twitter posted a picture of Brooke Cotchen's Instagram in which she basically outed herself by showing that she'd gone to, what was it, a day spa? A day spa, yeah. Yeah. So that was a really weird one. So the AFL actually stood him down for breaching their rules about not naming names. Everyone went up in arms and went, well, hold on. Caro and other people have already talked about it on the radio. Plus, again, she outed herself on Instagram. So what the hell? And so the AFL have done a big U-turn today and they've reinstated him. I'm glad they did. Yeah. Oh, that was bizarre. Mm. So yeah, $45,000 fine, 25 of it suspended for the Tigers. The Hawthorne Hawks, several non-selected players who were at last week's loss to the Swans, were escorted by security into the public area at the SCG to get a bag of chips. Well, it could be worse. They could have been getting dinner from a strip joint. (laughs) Who is that? Mo Williams. That was, or that was, that was Lou Williams. Lou Williams. Yeah, Lou Williams, yeah. He, um, he was he was there for the wings, but uh, I, I think it was it was Kenny the Jet Smith who said he wasn't there for the wings. He was <laughs> he was there for the thighs and legs. <laughs> it's fantastic. Ugh. So yeah, they copped a fifty thousand dollar fine for Carlton. Kids of a player who were dropped off at their grandparents' house caused the issue. The player's partner went and picked up the kids later and was shocked to learn that they'd been at a theme park, which is a clear breach of the protocol. Oh, dear. So 45 grand fine there. Thanks, grandparents. Yeah, nice job. Yeah. Um, and then the North Melbourne Kangaroos, their breach concerned a group of partners that attended the game that weren't approved by the AFL. So not as exciting, but a $45,000 one there. Which led to Eddie Maguire. Oh, yes. So Eddie has, and we've already talked about the hypocrisy and we've already talked about how he was very hard very early. Like anyone that breaches should be sent home immediately. Uh, That came to bite him in the ass a little bit, Shuey, didn't it? It did. Nathan Buckley and Brenton Sanderson ended up playing tennis with Alicia Mollick. Yeah. While here in Perth. A bit of a random blast from the past there with Alicia Mollick. Yeah, I thought, I didn't know she lived in Perth. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she's just... I remember a, when we were in Sydney, we saw her running by the uh, by the Opera House one time. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so according to Eddie, really, Buckley and Sanderson should be on the next plane back to Melbourne. Amen. I, I will say this, though. I give Bucks a lot of credit. He stood up. He he said, I'm, I messed up. Collingwood but, self-reported this I, one. Yep, they self-reported when they could have got away with it. Buckley's going to pay the fine himself, which I think is uh, its a brave thing to do to stand up in front of everyone and say, you know what, we stuffed up. But going back to Eddie. They're not making him look good, are they? They really aren't. Yeah. The, the hypocrisy, as, as we spoke about, it just... Oh, it gets worse all every over week. this. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Eddie's called that... He says that the, the individual should be fined rather than the teams. Well... That's one thing if you're players, but you can't fine a wife. And and Grandma Carlton, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you can't she is. like. So that's I'm amazed that he would make such a statement because mm. how is that even possible? Like, okay, yes, they've been allowed there as a sign of goodwill by the league, but they're not official members of the teams, mm. so you can't. They don't fall under the CBA or anything like that. No, but look, it was just interesting how quickly his tune changed when a Collingwood player was involved. The oh, he was proud of them again. The He's same way as it did. Yeah, the yeah. same way as it did with the Steel Cyborg. Can I go on a rant about WAGs? Go for it. So WAG stands for wife and girlfriend, right? So it's normally mentioned in plural. I don't have a problem with the anagram. But Nathan gets on his soapbox and rants irrationally about something that shouldn't bother him. WAG is always used in the singular by news.com.au and stuff. But the A is and. You can't be a wife and a girlfriend. Okay, maybe Kelly Stevens. Oh my God, it should be WOG. (laughs) Wife or girlfriend? I wasn't going to go there, but like, when did it it become singular? I don't like it. I don't like it. It would be interesting if a player brought a wife and a girlfriend over. (laughs) 
I could end really badly. I'm just disappointed you that you didn't take the bait on my Kelly Stevens I'm reference. I'm so sorry. A bit dated, really, though. It is a bit, I'm sorry. All right, we better move on. <laughs> Uh, only a few injuries this week, Shui? Yeah, only four games with injuries this time, which is nice. So starting off with Richmond and the Bulldogs, Matty Suckling did a hamstring pretty early on, could miss up to six weeks, which is pretty nasty. Uh, North Melbourne and Adelaide, we had Nick Larkey doing an ankle and Curtis Taylor has a left leg issue, um, waiting to see the severity of those. West Coast Geelong, two nasty concussions in that game. First game, Harry Edwards was taken out by Brad Shepard's hip in the first quarter. Doesn't remember much of his first game, apparently. Uh, and Charlie Constable was absolutely collected by Liam Duggan's hip late in the fourth quarter. That was a, a pretty nasty one. Yeah, I saw that one. Uh, and GWS and the Gold Coast, pretty big one here. Toby Green did a hamstring late in the first quarter. Didn't look that severe, but he's still looking at at least three weeks. Which is a big blow for them because he's been playing superbly exactly. well. Exactly. Um, and another big one as well, an underrated player of theirs, Matty DeBoer, who came over from the Dockers. He also did a hamstring. Important so tagger for them. Really important. Two really big outs for yeah. them. We nearly got out of the round with just one hamstring, but unfortunately we ended up with three. So. Well, we are in 33 matches in 20 days. So at time of recording here on Monday night, we're actually straddling both rounds 9 and 10. Spotlight game, Shui, and no, it's not going to be West Coast every week, but it was West Coast 11 goals, 7.73, defeating Geelong 10 goals, 4.64, in a very entertaining and close match with a few interesting stats and Josh Kennedy once again having a brilliant game. He really did. Look, really super gutsy win for, for West Coast and one I was very, very proud of, obviously, for the boys. After a round of smashings, it was actually nice to get a close game. And mm. as an Eagles fan, I guess I wasn't too happy that it ended up being our game that was close. I would have rather smashed them like we did with Collingwood last week. But <laughs> look, it was a true final. Hey, take the win because you were down at three-quarter time and you have an interesting stat on that one. I do indeed. So yeah, this was a real finals-like arm wrestle throughout. Even though Geelong got out to 22 at one stage, it never really felt like we were out of the game. It, it kind of felt like it was going to take one or two moments to really make the difference in this. And for me, one of them was a really straightforward one. One was a little bit controversial. So uh, the first one, just an utter piece of brilliance from Nick Natanui from that boundary throwing. Tapped it backwards to, of all people, Josh Kennedy. He had some very pretty taps. I saw a really great graphic on that that showed this amazingly big rectangle behind Natanui that was left open by all of our midfielders and forwards to allow Kennedy to run through Kenny it. Kenny roved that like a midfielder. He really did. Yeah. So that brought it back to two points, which was really, really important. Kennedy all of a sudden's kicked 11 goals straight in the last two weeks and leads the Coleman medal count. And 15 in the last three, yeah. Exactly. So moving on to the second moment, though, this is one I feel a bit more conflicted about. So about a minute after the Kennedy goal... Luke Shuey hit up Jamie Cripps about 50 metres out right on the boundary line. Jack Darling found himself open about 20 metres out, but the thing I don't like is that Cripps went back over the boundary line and took two or three steps to the right before hitting Darling on the chest for a goal that put the Eagles ahead. Yeah, I remember that one being a bit dubious. I, at the time, I'm cringing thinking that's got to be a, a boundary throwing, so we were very, very lucky yeah, there. Yeah, so, yeah. no, um, that surprised me. I do remember that one. Yeah, and then I suppose one other huge moment that didn't really go right for the Cats. About six minutes left, Cam Guthrie takes a huge hanger over Tom Cole, about 55 out from goal, and he went to play on super-duper slowly and got caught by Liam Duggan holding the ball. Massive. He wasn't super duper slow, but he he just it, well, just no awareness. Yeah, well, what amazed me was the lack of composure that Geelong had. So with like four minutes left, they were playing as if there was one minute left, mm. and they really dropped their bundle at the end of the game. And that was one of the and Guthrie was uncharacteristically down at times. I felt mm. like he didn't have the the game you know that he's had in previous weeks. Yeah. So all of that resulted in the first team to win after trailing at three-quarter time since the Kangaroos overturned a massive 4.3-quarter time deficit to beat St Kilda <laughs> in round one. But what makes that even crazier is that between the North Melbourne St Kilda and West Coast Geelong games, there were 70 other matches played, and of them, only four of those matches saw the team leading at three-quarter time ever trail at any stage in the fourth Now quarter. that is incredible. And the same happened in the other six games in round one as well. So it was just amazing. I mean, look, Geelong, they played well. They didn't lose any fans from it. They played a great game. And obviously they have some pretty big names out. They they really do. Their midfield is missing probably five or six of them. So. And I thought Richo made a really interesting call on that stat. He was like, well, the Eagles are playing in front of a home crowd. So if oh, any yeah. team is going to help get over the line in that fourth quarter, it's much more likely in that scenario than in an empty stadium. Yeah, definitely. Look, Nick Natanui was probably best on ground. It's probably the only time you'll see someone have 10 touches and be best on ground. 12 hitouts to advantage and six score involvements. He was massive in such a close game. It's, I really look forward to a rematch of this sometime in the finals. So Geelong have a short turnaround. They get to play North Melbourne on Wednesday at the Gabba. Um, West Coast enjoy a bye in the lead-up to home games against Carlton and Hawthorne. So great game. 
Quick roundup of the other games. Richmond, after I kind of rubbished them, seemed to be firing on all cylinders once again. 13 goals, 12-90, defeated the Dogs, 7 goals, 7-49. Yeah, the first night of the Festival of Footy was an absolute fizzer. What was most impressive for me, though, was Richmond were missing nine of their premiership team from last year. So it's guys like Noah Bolter, Mabor Chol, Derek Egmoles-Smith, and Jake Arts, who all of a sudden make Richmond really versatile and really dangerous. And they're, they're in striking distance of the top four. Um, for the Bullies, Jack McRae was sensational with 37 touches. But all of a sudden, with them losing to Port Adelaide tonight, they've got Brisbane on Saturday. This next seven days could be really important to their season. In their losses, their average margin is 46 points. Wow. Well, it certainly well, it was before tonight. Wow. Um, that was the highest of any team in the league. So when they lose, they lose big. Speaking of losing big, Port Adelaide, 83 defeated Melbourne, 32. Melbourne's season is officially on life support. They, they need a big win against Adelaide next week. To me, the two funniest or most interesting things to come out of this game uh, was a tweet by Titus O'Reilly. who He said, and I quote, Last night taught me that if we want to stop COVID-19 in its tracks, we should get Simon Goodwin to coach it. Oh, jeez. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. But the other one that was really interesting, so I listened to uh, a bit of this game on the radio when I was driving. And uh, Tony Armstrong told a story. He was the last player to play a VFL match and an AFL match on the same day. It was back in 2014. He played the VFL match down in Geelong. Had a decent game. After the game decided he'd have three Big Macs. Then got told he had to go up to Melbourne (laughs) to play an AFL match. Wow. With three Big Macs in the stomach. Jeez. Yeah, that's rough. Hawthorne, 14 goals, 5-89, defeated Carlton, 9 goals, 4-58. Carlton have come back to earth a little bit after a surprising start to the season. Yeah, but signs of life from the Hawks, finally. Yes. Really inspiring to see Jarman Impey back after more than a year on the sidelines as well. He kicked a big goal in the third quarter. which I've got to be honest, I didn't even know he was still playing. Well, no. He's, he's been out that long. He's, he did very well. Jeez. But yeah, for Carlton, as you, you mentioned, it's the 13th time in 20 games under David Teague that the Blues have conceded a 30-point swing in a match. Wow. And they just look to be spiralling really, really quickly. Speaking of spiralling quickly, Essendon only managed three goals, 10-28, in a defeat to Brisbane, 14 goals, 7-91. Yeah, another game, another blowout, making it four from four before we even got to Saturday. Another great day for the Lions. They ink Charlie Cameron to a long-term extension and then go out and kick five goals to one in the first quarter and just cruise from there. They actually had enough points at quarter time to beat the Bombers' full-time score. Wow. Which is not great. Wow. Just not much positive stuff from the Bombers. They've lost two of their last three and face GWS next week. They've got three games in nine days coming up. This is not looking great for the Bombers all of a sudden. Good time to catch GWS with Toby Green and DeBoer out. And they obviously still have that game in hand against Melbourne who aren't doing too well themselves. They might almost need to play that game to work out finals at the end of the season. Oh, that's It'll be interesting point. to know when they squeeze that, that one in. That's a good point. North Melbourne had a big win after, I believe, six losses on the trot. And who was it against? Well, the Cellar Dwellers. Jeez, are they going to win a game? 119-50, to Adelaide Crows looking in shambles. They will win one game this season, I think. But they're not looking great. But look, for North Melbourne, no Ben Brown, no problem. Yeah. It's, it seems all you need is just a matchup against the Crows. North kicked the biggest score of the season from any side. And while we could talk about all the great stats, and believe me, there were some crazy ones in this game, I think it would be remiss of us not to celebrate Majak Dawes' return. Yes. 706 days out of the side dealing with mental health issues that he suffered. He played his part really well. He could have just easily, you know, sort of got lost in the moment. But he, he played really well. And he kicked that goal, and and uh, it was magnificent. It was great to see the entire team rushing up to him. Did you see uh, Maddie Nix throwing around bottles of water <laughs> at halftime? <Should laughs> yeah, I did. What did you make of that? Cancorns like had a bit of a dig at him, but to me, it's not all that different to using a whiteboard. Yeah, yeah. moving around magnets on a whiteboard. Yeah. Like, and the, some of the players were getting involved moving them around. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, look, it's it's interesting. It's. I don't know necessarily why he did that as opposed to using a whiteboard, maybe just because it's bigger. But yeah, I think the the heat that Matty Nix got from that is, it's unnecessary. It's not warranted. No. I, I, again, I still feel bad for him. And the fact that he's apologizing to the fans and having to do that is just, you worry that he's going to have to fall on his sword for this team. And it goes back stage. to what we talked about earlier in the year when everyone was saying, oh, he's been given no good assistance. There's no experience in that coaching lineup. Fair enough, give a young guy or a young to coaching guy a go, but he needs some experience with him. And for a long time, he said, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And then he came out and said, yeah, okay, maybe I do need an experienced assistant. Yeah. I, I feel sorry for him. Mm, I do. Yeah. No, agreed. 
St Kilda Sydney was a 20 point game at three quarter time but the Saints blew it out in a 15 goal 11 101 defeat of Sydney 6 goals 12 48 what I actually wanted to ask you was your thoughts on Jake Carlisle going after Dane Rampey's broken hand in the third quarter. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little conflicted about this. I think if you do it subtly, you know, if a guy chooses to play injured, it's a little bit fair game if you do it subtly. If you do it in a break, not even in gameplay, it's not a good look at all. I mean, it's dirty really, isn't it? I'm kind of agreeing with you. I'm on the fence a little bit. If you're injured, you shouldn't be out there. But, you know, at the same time, it's in poor spirit. Yeah. Especially, again, between quarters. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Greater Western City, 9 goals, 7-61. Defeated the Gold Coast, 4 goals, 11-35. Look, it's a bittersweet, obviously, but um, just a professional win all round from the Giants. They won every single counting stat except for hitouts, behinds, and bounces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Meanwhile, for Gold Coast, this is an interesting stat. They've been 3-2 and two after round 5 each of the last three seasons. That is an interesting stat. And a combined 2-36 and 36 from there on. Wow. So expect Gold Coast to continue falling off a cliff from here, unfortunately. Mm. And then finally for round 9, Freo had a big win. Collingwood's woes in Perth continue. They probably can't wait to get out of here. Just maybe don't pack the tennis rackets. Freo, 10 goals, <laughs> 1, 61, defeating the Pies, 7-7-49. Yeah, who saw this coming? As you said, another week from hell for Collingwood. Frio's pressure across most of the ground through this match was some of the best we've seen all season from any side. They were so far into the elite category in terms of pressure. It was ridiculous. And what a difference goal kicking actually makes. I know the quarters are shortened, but this season, teams that have kicked 10 or more goals and six or fewer behinds are 18-2. and two. Wow. So yeah. Ad- Adelaide in round one lost and Geelong on over the weekend lost. Absolutely love the look of Caleb Sarong. He probably will win the Rising Star now. Oh, Sarong was magnificent. Taverner kicked four. Fifey came back, was a big, big in for them again. And, you know, with a very depleted backline, that was a good win for, for Freya. They've been competitive every match they've played. They If the ball had bounced a different way, I've said this earlier, they could actually have a couple more wins. So I think, you know, going from talking about Matty Nix as a first-year coach, I think Justin Longmuir has done a spectacular job as a first-year coach with the Dockers in difficult situations because only North Melbourne have had more players with games lost to injury. So uh, don't, don't undersell it. It's not a good win. It's a great win. It is a great it's win. It's a really great win. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, this week we turn our attention to retired German tennis player Boris Becker. If anyone in the world is qualified to have a tennis elbow, it's a six-time Grand Slam winner. But wowzers, have you seen the lumps on his elbows now? Oh, I sure have. They look like there's actually tennis balls in his elbow. Oh, it's nuts. They're, they're I'm re- surprised he can bend it. Oh, honestly. Bend it like Becker. <laughs> well played. Uh, look, the reality of it is it appears to be a condition called olecranon bursitis, which is similar to tennis elbow, but all of that aside, they just look gross, and they're enough to make anyone, much less me, say bloody hell. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. So, Shui, last week we pretty much knew that Poms had wrapped up the Wisdom Trophy. That's official now. Yep. We also knew that Brody would pretty much get to 500 wickets. He did it in 140 matches, so he did, of course, do it, as we suspected. Six players got there in fewer matches. Can you name them? Miralitharun. Bang, top of the list, 87. Uh, Warren. Third, 108. McGrath. Fourth, 110 matches. I mean, Kirtley Ambrose. Uh, no, oh, but you're on the right oh, track. Oh, didn't get there. Courtney Walsh. Courtney Walsh, uh, 129 matches. Chiminda Vars. Chiminda Vars, not on the list. No, not on the list. Disappointing. Oh, well, he might be on the list, but he's not above broad. Capital Dev. No. <laughs> I'm... Right country. I'm drawing... Oh, okay. Um, Anil Kumbla. Yep, 105. Second on the list. And I'm drawing complete way. Alan Donald. Well, Stewie, funnily enough, the bloke ahead of him is James Anderson. Jimmy Anderson, 129 matches. Of course. Which is a perfect segue. The Poms are getting a bit ahead of themselves and are now touting Anderson and Broad as the best bowling partnership in the history of cricket. In the history of cricket on English soil, yes. Fair play. I would probably say on, on home soil. But their records away from England aren't good Very enough. Very average. They're not. They're not no. good enough. No. There's there's a handful of others that would come to mind. I mean, and we've already rattled off Ambrose and Walsh. Ambrose and Walsh, Lillian Thompson. Yep. Warner McGrath. Yep. Uh, Mira Litherin and Chiminda Vast. No. Oh, well, no. That's that's. That, that'd know, actually be pretty. pretty you could make a case. That'd be pretty close to. Yeah, be honest. you could make a case. So, yeah, you could definitely uh, make a case for quite a few of them. They're definitely getting ahead of themselves. Good try. You're, 
You wanted to talk about Johnny Besto, Shui, sticking on English cricket. Yeah, look, we we spoke about this in terms of why is he not in as the as the test keeper. I sort of asked you whether or not he was injured, but I noticed he was playing in these one days against Ireland, which are going on. Unsurprisingly, the World Eleven have won that series in two games, but. <laughs> Besto had 82 off just 41 in the second match. I, I just can't understand how Butler's maintained his spot. Besto's a better keeper, a better batsman. And in the middle order, I don't know about you, but I would feel way more nervous about having to break a partnership of Stokes and Besto as opposed to Stokes and Butler. So- yeah, no, I'm completely with you. I think the only time I would choose Butler over Besto is in a non-test match scenario. So, you know, like the other day when they just decided to blast some runs as quickly as possible, they sent him out to open. You know, I would still take, in the, in the still take Besto, to be honest. Yeah, oh, look, yeah. It's, I still it, would. Yeah, it's, no. it's a bit baffling. It's it a is. bit baffling. It is. Uh, and then there's some BBL hub news, Chewie. Yeah, News Corp have reported that broadcasters for the BBL are preparing Allen Borderfield in Brisbane, North Sydney Oval, Junction Oval in Melbourne, and the Wacker in Perth as emergency venues in case Cricket Australia are forced into the same situation as the AFL and need to move multiple teams to one city to get the schedule done. We don't have really any more information on this one just yet, but since the BBL doesn't start until the 3rd of December at this stage, we'll hopefully have more in the coming weeks. Just keep any players away from Melbourne United to players. Yeah, true. True, true. Uh, did you see the Alyssa Healy thing, Shui? Yeah, so in India have gone and scheduled a women's T20 challenge about the same time as the WBBL this year, which met outcry from a number of Australian players, but Alyssa Healy definitely the most vocal. Um, she got into a war of words with a guy named Borea Majumdar, who claims to have an Oxford PhD in cricket. Mm, the Oracle. <laughs> I checked. There's no cricket degree at Oxford University. <laughs> I thought I would at least double check and say. But no, basically they've screwed over any Aussies who might have wanted to play in it. And the Indian players who signed up to play WBBL as well. So Well, they've just diluted the competitions, haven't they, really? They really have. Very, very disappointing. But, uh, you know. but what can you do? The BCCI run the world. They certainly run the cricket world, Shui. Yes. No doubt. Julie, another big week, another enjoyable week. What are you apt for? Well, it's hard to go past Richmond and Brisbane tomorrow night in the AFL, but in the NBA, there are some absolute crackers this week. I've got two for you. Denver OKC tomorrow to see if my boys can continue their good start. And the LA Clippers versus Dallas on Friday, which we spoke about a little bit earlier on. Dallas have lost two games from winning positions, and even though they've clinched a playoff berth for the first time since 2016, they are going to be hungry to start winning again. And against a team that they're about a 99.9% chance of facing in the first round. How about yourself? Ah, yes, the NBA feast continues. Well, to be honest, I'll just be happy to watch more sport and to watch more. I don't think I've watched Get Up or First Take for like two weeks. Uh, We've been on streaming this week, so I've had to burn the midnight oil a little bit doing other things to get things up and running, which is rewarding in its own way. But I very much look forward to watching a little bit more sport and having maybe even a bit more to say next week. And for you doing that, I say, hail. Oh, you've done your bit too, Shui. Hail the great man. Hail the great man. That wasn't my intention. No, no, no. I appreciate you. (laughs) Appreciate your hard work, man. Oh, you'll be editing this one. So I appreciate your hard work too. Until then, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.